diversity, inclusion, and acceptance. They're all hot topics these days, as is the conversation around unconscious bias. Truth be told, this subject, what I'm talking about today, it's the reason I started writing my podcast scripts. Hi, I'm Deva Mills, the Rebellious Recruiter. Have you ever heard of the McGurk Effect? What about deliberate practice? The first, for most people, not likely, unless you watch a lot of BBC or science documentaries. But the second, yeah, you've heard of it. It's spoken about as the 10,000-hour rule. It was inspired by the work of Daniel Goleman and made popular by Malcolm Gladwell in the book Outliers. So what do they have to do with each other? Well, you're about to find out. Pull up a seat. Let's chat. One of my diversity and inclusion heroes is a guy by the name of Joe Gerstant. He's a bit uncommon among DEI folks for a host of reasons, and I won't go into those right now. But I heard him speak some years ago, and what he showed us and lectured about got my brain working in that philosophical sense that you've heard from me. What he did is he had us watch a video in which 500 plus people in this room were split into two groups. And you can find several of these on YouTube. It's the McGurk effect, M-C-G-U-R-K effect. Before I talk about the video, what is the McGurk effect? Well, it was discovered in the 1970s when scientists were studying how babies learn language. They discovered that once we are embedded with our language, that our brain listens and sees at the same time. When the results contradict each other, the brain overrides what we're listening to and creates a third sound. For example... In most of the videos, you can play them and listen and not watch, and you'll correctly hear ba, ba, ba. But if you watch without the sound, you'll see da, da, da. And if you watch and listen, you might hear ga, 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 or ja, ja, ja. Why does this happen? Well, these videos aren't all in one. You're watching the person make a D sound, but the audio was swapped out for a person making a B sound. And then your brain gets these mixed signals and tries to make sense of it because the signals don't match. So a third sound emerges. The initial time I was in the seminar and this was brought forward, it was to bring up the concept of our assumptions and how bias is formed. The audience was divided down the middle. The right side of the room was told to watch and listen, and the left side of the room was told to close their eyes. The results were crazy. The right side had a ton of different answers for what they just watched and heard. The left side 100% agreed on what they had heard, and what they had heard was completely different than the right side. No one on the right side of the room heard what the left side did. Same video, same audio. A couple years later, I was reading up on the McGurk effect, and I learned that highly trained musicians tend to not be fooled by it. They know what their brain hears in most cases, and they rely on that information, not what they see. So why is that? Well, when someone's job is to play music for 40 or more hours a week and they have to deliberately practice and intentionally listen to the notes, they aren't fooled because they know what they hear, regardless of what they see. But for people like me, even though I've played the violin when I was younger and did my fair share of church singing and worship leading, my practice is not at the level of those musicians because it was never my job to do that. I didn't have to do deliberate practice. Now, my singing is decent, my ears are decent, There was a time that I could sing an A on key, no pitch pipe, because I had tuned my violin so many times, starting with the A string, that I inherently knew what an A sounds like. But I have to find the other notes off the A note. 
So let's look at this from a recruiting perspective. Take the concept of deliberate practice, regardless of it being 10,000 hours or less. The reality is, is deliberate practice is just that, deliberate. Very few people approach interviews from the standpoint of a science behind them. And very few people deliberately dive into concepts during interviews. Instead, they take the first answer as the answer. The first answer given, it rarely has context. And many times, any context, it's all in the interviewer's head, caused by personal assumptions. Getting context, it takes deliberate practice. It takes asking a question you think you know the answer to and asking it anyway. And then the added difficulty here is that the candidate was often trying to manipulate the context, not because they want to lie, but because well-meaning family and friends, they tell them to hide certain pieces of information. Even Google searches on interview theory tell people how to sidestep questions and give the interviewers an impressive answer, even if it doesn't answer the question. Let's take the, what is your weakness question? I don't inherently hate the question because it's bad. I hate the question because there's a lot of information out there on how to answer the question and trick the interviewer. I hate the question because a lot of interviewers bring their assumptions to the question about what it means if the candidate gives a truthful answer, and then they determine if it is a truthful answer, creating a big swirl that ultimately has nothing to do with how the person performs the job. Also, wrapped up in that 10,000 hours, the average manager will do about five hours of interviews a week. At that rate, it takes 38 and a half years to get to 10,000 hours of deliberate practice to get to the point of excellence. Well, you need to hire people now. Let's be clear, 10,000 hours, it wasn't the actual hour based on the studies. It was an average across a lot of things. What if to be an excellent interviewer, you only needed 2,000 hours? Well, that's still almost 10 years of effort you need to put in in order to be excellent. I'm going to take another rabbit trail. Often in my career, I talk to people over the phone and to be very impressed by what they are saying. The issue is, is that when I would meet with them or meet with a hiring manager and it's face to face, I often felt let down, like something was off. You might have noticed that too. So what causes that? Well, there's a study for that too. Nick Epley out of the University of Chicago has it. I was in a master class at an HR convention some years ago where he was speaking about human connection. I noticed during his presentation that he fast forwarded through some slides to get to his next point, And what I saw piqued my interest. I used to work for Management Recruiters International. And I clearly saw one of the MRI offices called out on a slide as he was fast forwarding. When it was time for questions, I asked him to go back and look at these studies in conjunction with MRI. Turns out that we tend to favor people when we can only listen to them, and then when we see them in person, we get another first impression. So it was natural he would have done this study with an MRI office since all their first interviews were phone interviews. Now, the study made sense to me because for decades, that was 50% or more of the interview process. I placed people into jobs without ever seeing them face-to-face, There was no Zoom, no join.me, no WebEx, go to meeting. I wasn't distracted by their mannerisms when all I could do was hear their voice and the information presented. It made sense to me as to why I loved talking to people on the phone and consistently was let down when I met with them in person because my brain was making up a third piece of information. But that third piece probably didn't exist. So going back to the McGurk effect, what your ears hear, it's correct. What your eyes see, it's correct. What your brain makes that into, 
that's not correct. This is where unconscious bias starts. And this is how we wind up with a bunch of likable people we want to go to happy hour with. It's how we end up with no diversity on our teams. And it's how we end up in organizational weaknesses that are difficult to manage. What if the strength of your team is creativity and innovation? But that also means that your weakness is focusing so much on creativity and innovation that the routine functions, they don't get done right or the same way. You know, because birds of a feather flock together and all that. This is where it starts. It can be overcome with deliberate practice, though. Deliberate practice means getting out of your comfort zone. Remember the last episode, clams? Right there. You need a little bit of all those motivators. If you have a bunch of challenge and advancement junkies on your team, no one's going to consistently get the work done. This is where those stability-minded individuals are great. Get the blend going. Don't buy into the wisdom that they need to cross a rope bridge together. You need people to know how to fill in for each other's gaps. So what happens when you feel let down? Well, acknowledge it. Acknowledge your assumptions. Your brain is doing what it was designed to do and make sense of information presented and help you make a rational decision. That being said, your brain is also confused in these moments. When your brain is confused, you start making assumptions. But what if? What if those assumptions are caused by unconscious bias? What if you could practice your way through unconscious bias and consciously start recognizing how your personal assumptions are driving the interview process? You know the number one piece of advice I give people I work with? Acknowledge your feelings. Why is that? Because when we start fighting our feelings in the moment, we lose the ability to be present to what is happening. When that candidate comes into the interview and you feel let down, acknowledge that feeling. Give it space for a moment. Don't fight it. Realize it's likely a driving assumption and your brain might in fact be creating a third issue because what you hear and what you see they don't make sense together. I'm going to segue here. I'm going to talk about a terrible interview question and why it's terrible. Here it is. Walk me through the steps of baking a cake. This question is often asked because interviewers want to know how people think through a process. But this is silly, really silly. If you were to hire me for my baking process skills, you'd honestly be very disappointed in me at the interview and you'd not hire me. You see, I can barely bake because I can barely follow a recipe. Cooking, however, when I can taste as I go and add a little more salt, see what happens with a pinch of paprika, I rock it. But I've had several baking disasters in the kitchen due to my inability to follow a recipe to a tea. And even more when I do follow the recipe, because I don't know the science behind altering things due to humidity and elevation. That being said, when it comes to interviewing, I'm extremely process-oriented. Even when there's a perceived lack of process, there's a process there. I watch how the team interacts. I get a feeling for how they make decisions. Then I start coaching and creating processes around that. That is like baking. There's a little bit of science due to humidity, elevation, air pressure, age of ingredients. I know that. My skills in the kitchen, how I approach food, it has nothing to do with how I interview and how I manage teams or how I train. That question, that creates assumptions. Assumptions are unconscious bias at work. The only way to overcome that is to hire people who challenge you, make you learn new ways of managing people, new managing skills. Bring on people who have different skills. Some of those new skills can be brought through lifelong adversities. Those adversities, many of them are largely invisible, 
again, causing assumptions when you interview. The adversities that you can clearly see, they cause you to focus on the difference. Did you ever watch Star Trek, The Next Generation? There was an episode where the Enterprise was on a planet where only people without disabilities, they weren't allowed to be born. It was in that fact that Lieutenant LaForge was blind and his computerized eyesight that filtered information correctly to his brain helped them solve a problem. Problem for which they would have never had the answer to had they not encountered someone with a different way of looking at something. Literally, a different way of looking. Let's wrap this up and set a challenge for yourself in the next interviews. The McGurk Effect. Where is your brain creating a third and incorrect assumption based on competing yet correct data points? Deliberate practice. Except that if it really takes 10,000 hours of deliberate practice to be a master at interviewing, that you're going to retire around the time you master it. So just focus on getting better. Unconscious bias. Ask more questions. Ask why. And don't rely on your assumptions. Get comfortable with challenging assumptions in the interview. Look to hire people who are different than you, think differently, and come up with radically different solutions. Learn to have different managerial solutions and different communication solutions for those on your team. If you're a leader, that's only going to make you better. So that was a lot of information, right? Well, I'm glad you listened in, and I'm glad you'll take the time to listen to yourself and listen to your candidates and acknowledge your assumptions and then keep growing. Because sometimes the answer lies in our differences, not our sameness. Thanks for listening to The Rebellious Recruiter. A quick reminder, I'll be bringing you new information every Monday and an occasional interview later on in the week with another thought leader. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening to this and comment, rate, and review. And share this podcast with other leaders that are looking to build out-of-this-world teams and maybe have a penchant for defying best practices. Go ahead and check me out at millsgroupllc.com and drop me a line there with your thoughts or questions. I might use your subject matter in upcoming shows. And thank you for listening. I know you only have so many hours in the week and I'm grateful to spend this time with you. Until then, make it a great day. I'll see you on the flip side. This podcast is produced by TH3 Entertainment.